You're listening to Renegade Talk Radio. Climate denier, racist, Nazi, and anti-Semitism are words that have been exhaustively misused to psychologically beat people into a submission of shame. It is a human control technology that works on many people. When you point out the facts which expose the man-made global warming theory as a hoax, you are called a climate denier or a science denier. We are expected to trust the science even if it doesn't scientifically add up. The group mind has been conditioned to look down upon those who question the official narrative. And the word denier or denial has been made into a curse. This deceptive wordplay, along with the term hate speech, both stem from the Holocaust denial trials of the 1980s. In 1983, the founder of the Canadian Holocaust Remembrance Association, who was a Holocaust survivor, filed a private complaint against German-born citizen Ernst Zundel before the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal. In 1984, the Ontario government joined the criminal proceedings and Zundel was charged of spreading false news by publishing the book, Did Six Million Really Die? The Truth at Last. He was not making claims that the Holocaust did not happen, just that it did not happen as we were told. The main argument was simply challenging the number six million. Many others have worked out the math and concluded that six million would have been impossible based on multiple logistical factors. The charge against Zundel alleged that he knowingly published a false statement intended to stoke racial intolerance. He was found guilty by two juries, but was acquitted by the Supreme Court of Canada in 1992, who ruled it was a violation of the guarantee of freedom of expression under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. But in 1995, Ewald Althens got three and a half years imprisonment in Germany for asking the same question. From a logical perspective, discussing observable reality should not be so emotionally offensive. But Zundel was a fan of Hitler and was surrounded by extreme neo-Nazis, so there was no sympathy for his persecution. And the term Holocaust denier became the absolute worst thing anyone could be charged with. Zundel left Canada and moved to the United States. In 2003, Germany issued a warrant for his arrest. U.S. authorities arrested him for violating immigration rules and deported him to Canada, where he was tried, found guilty, and given the maximum sentence of five years in prison for violating the Volkswehr-Hetzung law in the German Penal Code, which bans incitement of hatred. This quickly evolved into the term hate speech, and those paying attention could see that this would soon be used against anyone the government wanted to silence. The Zionist government, who funds and operates Hamas under the Mossad maxim, by way of deception, thou shalt do war, is openly calling for genocide of all Palestinian people under the banner of their God. Are we still bad people for asking logical questions based on observable facts? The number 6 million has been ritually used by Zionists since their official beginning in the late 1800s, decades before the Holocaust. It obviously means something. 6 million is a 6 followed by 6 zeros, and so it can represent 66. 
66 is also two-thirds. The Hebrew prophet Zechariah wrote that two-thirds of the nation of Israel will be cut off and die. Many believers of biblical prophecy believe that this mass blood sacrifice is necessary in order for their Messiah to return. The Zionists seem to be no friend of the Jewish people, but by simply showing this information, many of you are triggered into thinking that I am an anti-Semite, a racist, or even a Nazi, and yet all I am doing is reporting on the unbiased scientific inquiry that people have had for decades in the pursuit of truth. Mind control is a real threat, and we are all affected. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. Journal with your host, Chase Geyser. Watch live right now at band.video. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser. I will be your host today. So much going on in the world, and I am so pleased to be with you this morning, the greatest audience on earth. If you've been paying attention to the news at all lately, which I know you have, you know that World War III is underway. We now have a situation in which this is an international conflict of multiple nations, all sorts of threats going around with no sign of peace anytime soon. And frankly, it doesn't really seem like any side actually wants peace. It doesn't seem like the Israelis want to stop bombing Gaza, and it doesn't seem like overnight the Palestinians are going to find themselves suddenly affectionate and peaceful toward the Israelis. We have threats now coming from the likes of Turkey. I found a hilarious clip, actually, from about 10 years ago of Putin and... How do you pronounce the president of Turkey's name, Matt? I know it's spelled Erdogan. Erdogan? Is that right? Erdogan? Correct. Yeah. So there's this hilarious clip where Erdogan pulls the chair out from underneath Putin at some sort of like a UN meeting or something. And Putin almost falls when he goes to sit down. Then later on the very same day, Erdogan goes to sit down and Putin pulls the chair out from him and he just totally falls on his ass. It's like one of the funniest things ever. We'll have to roll it in one of these clips, um, one of these segments later on today. But one of the things that's really fascinating is we've been talking about the different resources, the different funds. There it is. That have been behind this attack on October 7th. We know that Iran was funding it. We know that China sort of through Iran was funding it. And just yesterday, I'm seeing reports that President Xi has come out, or at least the CCP has come out and said that the extent of the bombing in Gaza is beyond the justified amount in terms of national defense for Israel. So the CCP sort of implicitly applying that, hey, there was a real terrorist attack on October 7th, but what Israel is doing in response to that is too far over the line in terms of the amount of compensation, the retribution that we're seeing. And so that supports our theory then that China is sort of supporting Iran, which is supporting Hamas. So 
indirectly, China is supporting Hamas, although they're very coy and tactical about how they do that. And the stage is being set for this world war conflict in which the United States is going to have boots on the ground in the region, certainly if Lindsey Graham has his way. And there's going to be a hot war with China and potentially Russia simultaneously. We're already in a cold war with Russia. And I was thinking about this the other day. One of the funniest things about this to me is you would think after all of the cheer that we give Ronald Reagan for winning the Cold War, for tearing down the Berlin Wall, you would think that our government, at least our president, would have the understanding as to how that conflict ended. We had a capitalist society versus a communist society, and we were able to ramp up our military spending dramatically and quickly and in a more sustainable way because of our capitalist economy being more efficient. And we basically forced the Russians to try to keep up, but communism being a less efficient economic system, it was unsustainable for them to do so, and inevitably the Soviet Union collapsed on itself. The great irony, of course, that Putin, who personally suffered emotionally at the collapse of the Soviet Union, is now doing to the United States what the United States did to the Soviet Union. He is now waging this war in Ukraine, which he could have won a long time ago. This war could have been over, as far as he's concerned, a long time ago. They could have been way more aggressive. They could have bombed way more. They could have gone in way heavier and just wiped Ukraine off of the face of the earth. But he knew that by dragging this out, that by going through two winters in this conflict, that the United States would spend hundreds of billions of dollars rather than just tens of billions of dollars. He knew that if the conflict ended too quickly, then the United States wouldn't be exhausted by it. So by perpetuating this conflict over the course of several years instead of several months, by graduating it from a simple military operation to a full-scale war, he tricked us, he tricked the Biden administration into being on the losing end of a Cold War 2.0. We just got Cold war by Putin. And what that's done is that it's set up a situation where China now can take Taiwan basically whenever it wants to because we're funding Ukraine on the one hand. On the other hand, we are sending troops and carriers and funds to Israel. We have Biden coming out saying he'll veto any legislation, any bill that funds Israel exclusively and not Ukraine. So Biden has said that he's vetoing anything unless it's a war on two fronts, even though we know that one of the rules of war is never to fight a war on two fronts. And so if China enters as a variable, a hot variable in this conflict, and takes Taiwan, that then would be a war on three fronts, all while mortgage rates on homes are over 8%. We had reports just the other day of some houses being sold for 40% above their true market value. We have bankruptcies up 20% year over year. Joe Biden's approval rating has plummeted. He's thought of as among the worst presidents in the history of the United States of America, even worse than Jimmy Carter. We thought the Iran hostage situation was bad news under the Carter administration. How many Americans have we lost in this conflict? 
this conflict that perpetuates while we continue to do business with the nations responsible for it. And I know we have our little sanctions on Iran, and I know that we slap wrists, but when push comes to shove, no one is being held accountable because we are a leaderless nation. And then on top of that, we have this internationalist, globalist, new world order depopulation agenda in which these leftists in their cognitive dissonance, in their delusion, in their derangement syndrome are suggesting that the environment is actually more important than human life itself when throughout the entire history of humanity, the purpose of the environment has been to sustain us to be used and mastered by us for our benefit. And now we have these environmentalists coming out and saying that the real problem with the world is that humans are here. They're saying that we are the problem with the planet and If only we weren't here, if only we didn't exist, if only we eradicated ourselves, this planet would be so much better off, which of course begs the question, what's the point of having a perfect climate and a perfect planet if we're not allowed to live on it? And so in this backward sort of way, out of their own bleeding hearts, they have become a philosophy of human sacrifice. One of self-sacrifice, where there is no individual identity, there's only the collective group identity. There's only the critical race theory, just the critical theories in general. There's only this Marxist thought where there is no individual, there's only the collective, and as long as you are acting as an individual, you are actually harming the planet and therefore harming this elusive collective. And so the only way to solve our problems in the eyes of these sick leftist globalists is that we sacrifice ourselves to the god of leftism, whether it's the planet, whether it's collectivist, socialist, economic policy, whether it's these wars where we claim to be advocating on behalf of humanitarian rights when we know that we only pick and choose the humanitarian issues we care about when it's politically convenient. And that's why it all goes back to the importance, folks, the importance of individualism. What this country was built upon, it was built by great men and women. Nobody makes a statue of a committee. And as soon as we allow them to sacrifice the individual, we are lost. Stick with us, folks. We'll be back right after this break. Have you tried taking the real red pill? A -a one-of-a-kind heart and brain formula designed exclusively for InfoWarsStore.com. One of the most powerful ingredients in Real Red Pill Plus is pregnanolone. Pregnanolone levels decrease with age, and low levels are associated with fatigue, low brain function, and unhealthy aging. The Real Red Pill Plus also provides essential trace minerals, such as vitamin B12, calcium, copper, and zinc. Featuring naturally occurring L-theanine, caffeine, and theobromine, the energy blend inside the Real Red Pill Plus provides an extra pick-me-up for your day that goes beyond the second cup of coffee. So 
visit InfoWarsStore.com, go down the rabbit hole, and try taking the real red pill. Now 25% off for a limited time at InfoWarsStore.com. Naturally sourced from the finest hemp plants in America, Rebel Zen offers the absolute finest quality CBD available and at the lowest prices. Extracted using a cold-pressed technique to retain the molecular integrity of the cannabinoids and terpenes within the plant, this full-spectrum formula ensures that your nervous system gets the full benefits of CBD. Premium quality organic CBD like Rebel Zen has been shown to naturally reduce anxiety, relieve pain, and decrease inflammation. People have reported a reduction in symptoms of insomnia, arthritis, seizures, chronic pain, and epilepsy. Several studies have shown it helps to reduce cortisol, increase serotonin, and boost vitality. Order yours today at InfoWarsStore.com. You're listening to The American Journal. Watch it live right now at band.video. Welcome back to The American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host today. We have a couple of great guests today, at least one, maybe a second one. It's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure you stick with us throughout the show. Make sure you visit InfoWarsStore.com and be the reason that we're still on the air. A lot of good things are happening over here at InfoWars. A lot of great news, which I'm not at liberty to discuss, but big things are coming. Big things are in the works. Good things are happening. And I'm very optimistic about the future. But it's going to take a little bit of help from you guys. It's going to take you investing in yourselves and going to InfoWarsStore.com and selecting any of our great products as a way not only to support the store, but to help become the best version of yourself. Happy, healthy, and sharp. Speaking of sharp, did you guys have a chance to listen to the Elon Musk interview on Joe Rogan yesterday? I listened to it. A couple of times. And Elon Musk is somebody I've been fascinated with, with for 10 years. Namely because he somehow figured out the miracle solution to the problem of anything electric being really nerdy and really leftist. He somehow figured out a way to take something like an electric car and make a cool version of it. It's like trying to fix disco, and he did it. And so from an entrepreneurial standpoint, I was just fascinated by this guy. You have this guy who starts this company, which later became PayPal. And I know that his dad has a little bit of money in South Africa, and he comes from a background of a successful business family, but I don't think that he actually had a lot of money from his family. He always could have fallen back on that. But I don't think he was somebody that was just flush with cash, living on daddy's credit card, so to speak. And at one point in time when he was working on his company, which later became PayPal, there he is with Peter Thiel. They were 
running the website during the day, and at night they were staying up all night so they could work on it and improve it because everybody else was asleep. All the users were asleep. And in order to save money, they decided just to lease an office and not an apartment. And he was showering at the YMCA and living in the office, sleeping on the office. So he really did the American dream. I mean, he did the American dream from top to bottom. He immigrated over here, started a tech business that made him a lot of money, then invested that money and bought a car company, and then took the money he was making off of Tesla and other investments and invested in SpaceX. No NASA scientists, no government rocket scientists would work for SpaceX because at the time, no one had done private space flight, private space travel, and it was a very controversial concept. It was thought that only the likes of the military-industrial complex could even pull off such a thing as space flight. And so, for fear of damaging or harming their reputations, all of the best rocket scientists, all of the best chief engineers of the world refused the opportunity to work for SpaceX in the beginning because they feared that it would fail, and if it failed... It would look bad on them. And so what did Musk do? He had to figure out how to be one of the chief engineers for the rockets. He said in interviews before that instead of taking three, four, or five attempts to launch these rockets, if a real engineer would have done it, they would have been able to pull it off in one or two attempts. But he figures out how to design this rocket, and not only a rocket that works, but a rocket that can land itself again. Now he's got hundreds upon hundreds of satellites flying around our planet, providing internet to rural areas, even combat zones. And then what does he do? He gets out of the rocket science business. Well, he's actually still in it. But he moves on and decides he's going to become a social media mogul. And everyone said he couldn't do it. Everybody said he was going to fail. He didn't know what he was doing. Twitter was dying. Twitter was dead. All the users were going to fall off. They weren't going to be able to make it if the advertisers didn't pay for advertising on the platform because it was too right-wing. And now he's got a situation where the number of users is higher than ever. The number of use time is higher than ever. It's the most valuable Twitter, now X, of course, has ever been. Everything this guy touches turns to gold. He is a brilliant guy. And on Joe Rogan's podcast yesterday, he says that Twitter was completely controlled by the far left. Something we knew, it was obvious, there was a massive purge after the 2020 election. There was a massive purge after January 6th. We knew that they were censoring Donald Trump, not because they feared that he was actually stoking insurrection, but just because they hated him and they used it as an excuse. And we always knew that the FBI and the CIA and the deep state and the political class were involved in Twitter. I don't know if you guys remember the Arab Spring from 2010, 2011. But Twitter was markedly involved in that conflict. It was used as a way for militants to communicate as they rebelled against their governments in the most extreme areas of the world. So it's always been a political entity, despite what Jack Dorsey says. Jack Dorsey said, of course, famously when he was speaking with Ted Cruz, that Twitter didn't have an impact on elections, yet it's bragging about its impact on the Arab Spring. Musk says 
The degree to which Twitter was simply an arm of the government was not well understood by the public. Adding, it was whatever. Everything was like Pravda, basically. A state publication is the way to think of old Twitter. A state publication. He goes on to say there was basically oppression of any views that even I would say would be considered middle of the road, must continue, adding, certainly anything on the right, and I'm not talking about far right, I'm just talking mildly right. Republicans were suppressed at 10 times the rate of Democrats. That's because old Twitter was fundamentally controlled by the far left. It was like completely controlled by the far left, he asserted. Of course, we knew this. Elsewhere, during the interview, Musk spoke about George Soros, noting Soros actually is, I believe, the top contributor to the Democratic Party, and the second one was Sam Bankman-Fried in Soros. He had a very difficult upbringing, and in my opinion, he fundamentally hates humanity. And you can tell just by listening to Musk, just by seeing his body language, that this is not a hateful person. I think he's actually a loving guy. I really do. I think he's preoccupied with his goals and his ambitions, and I think he's probably on the spectrum somewhere. He's a little odd, but I think he's got a really big heart. I really do. I think he deeply loves his kids, and he is by no means an anti-Semitic person. But if anybody else, and I'm sure they're going to do it to him, if anybody else criticizes Soros, they're immediately accused of being anti-Semitic because Soros is perhaps the most famous and powerful Jewish person in the world. And it doesn't matter that he was a Nazi collaborator in his youth. They frame that as him being a victim of the Holocaust, as him being a victim of the Nazis. But he's bragged about it openly in interviews, making remarks, and I paraphrase, paraphrase, that it was one of the best times of his life, exciting time, things of that nature. But you have Musk coming out and criticizing Soros. This is not just an InfoWars story, folks. This is not an alt-right, far-right-wing story. Soros is the globalist behind all of the yells that we're facing. More in the next segment. Please uh, remember, we are listener-supported, and we've got something back in stock that everybody needs that is so good to have in your medicine cabinet sports broadcast. We've got the best 30 parts per million colloidal silver out there. It's Silver Bullet. It's at InfoWarsStore.com. And you want to support the show, plus have something in your medicine cabinet, have to give to others. It's topical. You can also take it orally. Uh, it is. It really does a lot of amazing things, anti-infection, you name it. Nothing's a silver bullet, but it's as close to a silver bullet as you're going to get. Silver bullet, back in stock, discounted, InfoWarsStore.com. And we also have Brain Force Ultra, the incredible, fast-acting, nootropic back in stock, 60% off part of the big sale, the new sale we've got. Immune support, organic, green fibers, 50% off. Those are both incredible. Vitamin D3 gummies, amazing. InfoWarsStore.com or 888-253-3139. InfoWars.com is tomorrow's news today. Chase Geyser on the American Journal. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, pleased to be your host today. Who reports in that Blinken is to visit Israel on Friday? Shabbat Shalom, Blinken. Says revitalized 
PA should govern Gaza after war. Revitalized Palestine should govern Gaza after war. There have been rumors that discussions have been in place regarding a U.S. involvement to stabilize and police the area after the conflict is over. So once we have leveled the West Bank, once we have leveled Gaza, it looks like the United States will be involved in some significant capacity in terms of maintaining peace and order in the area while a second state may be established. And I know that the Palestinians have been oppressed. I know they've been treated unfairly over the years. I know that this is a chicken or the egg type conflict where everybody disagrees about who actually started it, when it actually started, whether it was in 1948 or 6,000 years ago. And I know there's arguments about whose land it really was, who was really there first. And frankly, I don't care about who was there first, because if I cared about that sort of an argument, then I wouldn't be living in Texas. I mean, if we're going to have the who was there first argument, whether we're going to do it to support Israel or whether we're going to do it to support the Palestinians, then we should just be saying that Texas is Mexico. So that doesn't matter to me. In my opinion, right of conquest is a legitimate argument. If you can take it and you can keep it, it's yours. I just don't want it to be sponsored by the United States. I don't want America to give tens or hundreds of billions of dollars a year so that Israel can be a state because if it can't stand up on its own legs, then it shouldn't stand. And I know there's disputes about whether or not Israel could stand without our support. I believe that it probably could, but I haven't looked into the numbers. I haven't looked into how many soldiers they have versus the area, how many rockets they have versus the area how long could they operate the iron dome without u.s support i haven't looked into all those numbers i haven't read the studies i haven't done the research but my intuition is that israel likely could still be israel without the united states and so my philosophy on the matter is we should say yes israel has a right to defend itself but it doesn't have a right for us to defend it it's not entitled to our defense of israel we can't even defend our own border at least we decide not to And so we've got Blinken visiting. We've got these talks about maintaining peace and order in the area after the conflict is over. God knows when. If there's even any humanity left on the face of the earth after a nuclear conflict of international proportions. But I think it's very, very funny and interesting. This is sort of a story that kind of came up in passing and no one's talked about it. But Zelensky last week, I believe, or two weeks ago, asked to visit Israel after the attacks on October 7th. And I don't know what his angle was. I don't know if he was just trying to show solidarity with this international conglomerate that's been funding his defense. I don't know if it really came from a place in his heart I don't know if he was trying to make sure that as all of the media attention and political attention shifts to Israel, he could perhaps insert himself in that narrative so that he could ride the wave and maintain the defense support that he needs for Ukraine. But I think it's very, very interesting that Zelensky, a Jewish man as I understand it, was declined the opportunity, declined an invitation to visit Israel upon his request. He reached out, said he wanted to go to Israel. They said, no, thank you. And I think it's a subtle cue that the government of Israel, that the Bibi Netanyahu administration, that the IDF, 
knows and understands that Ukraine is actually very Nazi. And when I say Nazi, I'm not just throwing the word around. I mean Nazi like the Nazis. Like they're nationalists and they're anti-Semitic and they fly swastikas and they fly the Black Sun. If you look at Azov Battalion's official Twitter account, you'll be greeted with all sorts of imagery of Nazi symbolism. Just click on the media tab and scroll back. It is not a secret. They push it. We have an iron cross in a cemetery outside of Philadelphia with the Ukrainian trident symbol on it. It's not just a coincidence that these are similar. It's a Nazi regime. And so Israel doesn't want Zelensky coming over because I believe Israel perceives Zelensky as a Nazi. And I know that he's a Jewish guy. You say, oh, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's Jewish. How could he be a Nazi? Well, so was Hitler. I mean, that's, that's one of the arguments. One of the conspiracy theories is that Hitler was actually partially Jewish. That doesn't really matter. We know that Hitler's chauffeur was Jewish. And when it came out that his chauffeur was Jewish, he was one of the original like 17 members of the Nazi party. Hitler made his chauffeur an honorary Aryan. So that he wouldn't be killed despite the fact that his administration wanted to send him to the camps. So exceptions can be made for a Jew here or there among Nazis. But Israel knows that Ukraine is the remnants of the Third Reich in the way that the Roman Catholic Church is the remnants of the Roman Empire. And I don't think they want anything to do with them. After all, Nazis have not been traditionally very friendly to the cause of Jewish people. The stance by Secretary of State marks first-time idea publicly uttered by Biden administration, which has been floating privately with regional partners since October 7th. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken looks on as protesters hold their hands in the air during a Senate Appropriations Committee hearing to examine the national security Supplemental request on Capitol Hill, October 31st, 2023, yesterday. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said Tuesday that a revitalized Palestinian authority should retake control of Gaza if Israel succeeds in its goal of toppling Hamas, but that regional partners and international agencies should play an interim role. Oh, okay, so we're going to topple the government of of Afghanistan, and we're going to be there to help nation build. And we're going to topple the government of Libya, but we're going to be there to help nation build. And we're going to topple the government of Iraq, but we're going to be there to help nation build. Because it always works out. Every time we've done a nation building project in the Middle East, it's always worked out so well. Whether we install the Shah, whether we unseat Gaddafi, whether we unseat Saddam Hussein, whether we wipe out the government of of Afghanistan and then just abandon it so that terrorists are all that's left and we arm them and they take over. For some reason, our intelligence community, this Biden regime, believes that it can do the same thing with a different outcome in Palestine. Let me tell you, folks, I'm no friend of Israeli oppression of innocent people. I am no friend of bombing innocent people like we see happening. But I'm no friend of Hamas. And if you look at the data, 40% of people in the West Bank or in the Gaza Strip, who are married, are married to their first or second cousin, and it's been that way for centuries. And it's resulted in serious mental health problems in the area. 
It's resulted in lower overall IQs. It's not a race issue. It has nothing to do with their ethnicity. I'm not making a racist claim. I'm simply suggesting that the practice of marrying your cousin is unhealthy for a people. And when you do it for century after century, you're going to wind up with aggressive, mentally ill people who are incapable of taking care of themselves and running a society in a competent, sophisticated way. Frankly, I doubt that if in some magical event, everyone in Israel has decided, you know what, you're right, we're going to give it all back to you, we're just going to you know, disperse over the face of the planet, we're going to immigrate to the United States, whatever. Let's just say, hypothetically, everybody in Israel decided to leave and give the region to the Palestinians. I highly doubt you would see less violence or less conflict. Because I don't believe that the people, having married their cousins for hundreds of years, are healthy enough mentally and physically to run a civilization. So any nation building that we're going to attempt to do is just going to be billions upon billions of dollars. And it's all going to be moot. And they're still going to be radical. And they're still going to be violent. And they're still going to hate us because we are supporting a nation that bombed innocent civilians in the region for decade after decade. Stick with us, folks. We'll be back after this break. Why do you think the globalists are desperately trying to censor everybody? Why are they attacking myself and Donald Trump and Elon Musk and everybody else? Because they can't get through this giant megalomaniacal power grab if we're here exposing them. But we're not just exposing their operation. In my new book, we give you the solutions to build a new, better world, an alternative to Klaus Schwab's You Will Eat the Bugs. This is The Great Awakening. The plan to defeat the globalist and launch the second great renaissance. It's a companion to my last book that was a number one worldwide bestseller. And this book is even thicker and even more powerful. Get your copy of The Great Awakening today at InfoWarsStore.com. Either signed as a fundraiser, and I thank you for the support, or unsigned. But whatever you do, take action now. We're fighting for you, but we can't keep on if you don't support us. So please, get the historic book now. Go now to InfoWarsStore.com and get The Great Awakening. The Great Awakening at InfoWarsStore. Our world is so full of hype. We are force-fed dehumanizing propaganda by the corporate media by the controlled churches and the universities. And why is this the case? Because we innately, by God, have been given the keys to our own minds, our own psyches, our own souls. And by connecting to God, we can empower ourselves and transcend the, quote, fallen or sinful state. So the chemicals that we ingest and, and all the things that we try to bring into our bodies to, to, to change who we are are only lowering us. They're only making us more depressed. In the end, they're only making us less fulfilled. It is only by going within and really making that connection to God that we can truly empower ourselves. That's why the globalists bombard us with toxins and chemicals to block us getting the normal vitamins and minerals and trace elements. Our bodies need to be healthy and to be able to basically reach out beyond the third dimension. And that's where the incredible products come in at InfoWarsStore.com. You're listening to The American Journal. Watch it live right now at band.video. I mean, this is going to sound uh, somewhat melodramatic, but I was worried about that, that it was having a corrosive effect on civilization, uh, that it was uh, just having a bad, a bad impact. Um, and um, I think part of it is that it, it's where 
it's where it was located, which is uh, you know downtown San Francisco. Um, and while I, I think San Francisco is a beautiful city, and and we should really fight hard to um, kind of right the ship of San Francisco. If you've walked around downtown San Francisco, right near the X FKA Twitter headquarters, it's a zombie apocalypse. I mean, it's rough. Have you have you been been in that area? Not lately. No, yeah. I've heard. It's crazy. I've heard it's crazy. I've heard you you really can't believe it until you actually go there. You can't believe it until you go there. So now you have to say, well, what philosophy led to that outcome? And that philosophy was being piped to Earth. So. Um, you know, a philosophy that would be ordinarily quite niche and geographically constrained, so that the sort of the fallout uh, area would be limited, um, was effectively given an information a weapon, um, a te- uh, information technology weapon to propagate uh, what is essentially a mind virus to the rest of Earth. Um, and the outcome of that mind virus is very clear if you walk around the streets of downtown San Francisco. It is the end of civilization. And it's not just uh, propagating the mind virus, but suppressing any opposing viewpoints. Yes. Well, in order for the virus to propagate, it must suppress opposing viewpoints. So, Because it doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Correct. Yeah. I mean, you, you've, I mean you've, you, you, you've, you've felt the, the virus. You yeah. Know. Yeah. People have tried to cancel you so many times. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, I don't think you're melodramatic at all. I I, I think it's a, it's a. I mean, I don't want to be melodramatic, but it's almost like a death cult. It's a death cult. No, no, it, it, that is exactly right. Um, it, it, uh, it it's essentially the uh, extinctionists. Like it's in the limit. It is that they're propagating uh, the extinction of humanity and civilization. Um, and, and there's some people who are, are like most most of the time it's it's implicit. They don't explicit, but sometimes it's explicit. Like there was a guy on the front page of the New York Times uh, who it literally has the thing called the extinctionist movement, um, and he was quoted on the front page of the New York Times as saying, uh, "There are eight billion people on the world, but it would be better if there were none." Ooh. And I'm like, "Well, buddy, you can start with yourself." Yeah. Um, Does he have friends? That's what always fascinates me. <laughs> Well, here he is. That guy. Uh, he looks like he's not long for this earth. I mean, doesn't he's not voluntary young. human extinction movement? That's hilarious. Pe- pe- spent. De- I'd like to party with that dude. <laughs> okay. I would just like to like. That's yeah. the, that's 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 the de- that's the, that's an explicit version of the death cult. Yeah, maybe the live long cult. and die out. It's. Like, I mean, it's it's not. Uh, the extinction is a word he uses. Yes. No, I mean, it's not a. It's literally a self description. Do that, they cover that him death glowingly? Was in charge of in social, in social media, yeah, and still largely is at uh, Google and Facebook, by the way. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, uh, I'm not in favor of uh, human extinction. Uh, they are, and uh, they can go to hell. Part of that whole conversation was right there at the end of that segment. We often think that, or get this sense of relief. Because of the improvement that we see at Twitter, at X, it's easy for us to sort of dismiss the problem, but we forget so easily that every other big tech platform is still as compromised as Twitter was in its worst moments. Everything that came out about Twitter through the Twitter files, things like the FBI and the CIA, 
meeting with the censorship or content review departments within the company on a regular scheduled basis, a fixed set meeting on a regular rolling basis. Things like emails asking for the censorship or suspension of specific accounts because of claims that were being made, which later turned out to be true, by the way, about things like whether or not COVID came from Wuhan lab or whether or not the vaccines are actually safe and effective. Every piece of corruption which has been revealed since Musk took over Twitter and fixed it and rebirthed it into X, that compromised status is still manifest in all of these other competitor platforms. I know that Facebook isn't what it used to be, but Facebook owns Instagram, and Instagram is still huge. I posted a video on TikTok yesterday. Within 15 seconds of uploading it, it was taking, taken down for, quote, hateful behavior. And the only thing that I can think of in the video that caused the problem was that the InfoWars mug was on the desk in, this, in the clip. And I think that the Autobots, the AI that they have that scans uploaded content, saw the InfoWars logo on a mug in the video and just classified the video as the product of a hate organization. Because that's what we are on TikTok. InfoWars is a hate organization. And Alex Jones is hate speech. Anything with any of our links is classified as linking to hate organizations. So it immediately gets flagged. Not only that, but they disabled my ability to appeal on TikTok when my videos are taken down. And I said nothing that was against the terms. I mean, it was, you know, it was a rowdy clip, but it wasn't inappropriate or it wasn't out of line. It didn't call for violence, didn't do anything wrong in the clip. I took it down because of the mug. So we know that China owns TikTok. The CCP runs that platform. Of course, they have large body of staff here in the United States. We know that the intelligence community, as well as the Chicoms, have infiltrated Facebook and Instagram. We know that Google has been doing business with the Chinese Communist Party for years, namely in the development of artificial intelligence, and they cite the reason for that as, well, if we didn't work with them, then they would just steal our intellectual property, and we would have less control over how they use AI, so we're going to work with them. We're going to sell out to them because we're afraid of what they will do to us if we don't. So we've got the Chicoms running TikTok, infiltrating Facebook and Instagram, and now running Google and YouTube, because same company, Alphabet Company. And then what we had with OpenAI, which was supposed to be a nonprofit organization with a mission to keep all of its technology open source at all times when Elon Musk started with it, they totally changed their whole entire corporate structure and mission. Elon left, and they took, I think, was it $100 million from Microsoft to develop ChatGPT? And the reason Microsoft put in $100 million into that company, into that project, was because they know that they can't compete with Google on search. They tried with Bing, and it just didn't stick because it wasn't as good. They didn't develop nearly the advertiser revenue on Bing that Google generated. It just wasn't sustainable. And so Microsoft is thinking, okay, the future of search is AI. People in the future will not go to search engines to find information. They will ask their AI assistant, and the AI assistant will present the correct information to them that they're looking for in the most direct, convenient, awesome way. 
already does some of that. And that's going to be the future of search. So that's why Microsoft invested $100 million into OpenAI. That's why they sold out. They needed to use Microsoft's infrastructure, its computing powers, to run the learning algorithm with the massive amounts of data, basically the entire internet pumped into it so that we have the chat GPT that we have today. And so while our search results are being censored on the one end, while our own content is being taken down, while we are being suspended on social media accounts, and Twitter, as good as it is, it still doesn't have Alex Jones back. On the other hand, we have the other side of this globalist infrastructure developing an artificial intelligence that is going to procure the information that you get for you. And that's going to be the future of search and tech. And that's why the Biden administration came out yesterday with these statements about regulating artificial intelligence because they know that artificial intelligence and the future of the info war are heavily integrated. They don't want people using artificial intelligence to analyze massive amounts of studies all at once and come up with the sophisticated arguments as to why what they're claiming in the media about a certain drug or a certain vaccine isn't true. They want to make sure that they regulate that. They don't want you to be able to create content that's compelling and informed and convincing without putting a watermark on it, letting people know that it was made by artificial intelligence. Stick with us, folks. We'll be back after this break. Make sure you visit InfoWarsStore.com. We do have some awesome sales in place, including BrainForce Ultra at 60% off. I highly recommend all of the BrainForce products that we sell. I use them every day as often as I can remember to, and they make a difference right away. You will notice within minutes of taking this product, BrainForce Ultra, at 60% off, you will notice a difference in your state of mind, your focus, and your ability to be productive throughout the day. Invest in yourself and be the reason we're still on the air at InfoWarsStore.com. Please uh, remember, we are listener-supported, and we've got something back in stock that everybody needs that is so good to have in your medicine cabinet sports broadcast. We've got the best 30 parts per million colloidal silver out there. It's Silver Bullet. It's at InfoWarsStore.com. And you want to support the show, plus have something in your medicine cabinet, have to give to others. It's topical. You can also take it orally. Uh, it is. It really does a lot of amazing things, anti-infection, you name it. Nothing's a silver bullet, but it's as close to a silver bullet as you're going to get. Silver bullet, back in stock, discounted, InfoWarsStore.com. And we also have BrainForce Ultra, the incredible, fast-acting, nootropic back in stock, 60% off part of the big sale, the new sale we've got. Immune support, organic, green fibers, 50% off. Those are both incredible. Vitamin D3 gummies, amazing. InfoWarsStore.com or 888-253-3139. You're watching The American Journal with your host, Chase Geyser. Watch live right now at band.video. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. Very excited for a special guest coming up after this segment. Which I will fill you in about soon. In other news, the German defense chief says public must get used to the possibility of war in Europe. We've been talking during this program today 
in the context of the conversation between Elon Musk and Joe Rogan yesterday about how the left seems dead set, for lack of a better term, on this depopulation, this sort of hatred for humanity, oftentimes. And it really rings true when you see headlines about Germany preparing its people for war in Europe again. It seems that every time there's war in Europe, it's world war. This, of course, being the third one starting now. Starting last month, top Ukrainian officials began pushing an alarmist narrative that World War III has already begun as the head of Ukraine's National Security and Defense Council, Alexei Danilov, acclaimed in early September. The words were spoken after it became clear that Ukraine's military was losing, and now Time magazine has confirmed the military doesn't have the manpower to fight off the Russians. Naturally, Kiev must find new ways to draw in more direct support of key European powers. I was watching Colonel Douglas McGregor last night do a couple of interviews because I think he gives the most concise, accurate updates on what's really going on in Ukraine. And he mentioned that the leadership in Ukraine right now knows that no matter how much support we give Ukraine in the way of monetary or supplies or weapons or training, it doesn't really matter because they don't have the boots on the ground anymore. They don't have the soldiers, the manpower to actually use all the weapons and supplies that we would give them. And so now Ukraine has reached another level of desperation where they don't just need things like tanks or air support or rockets or munitions or small arms, but they actually need soldiers now. They drafted everybody in the country. The women and children left. Everybody has been up in arms in Ukraine for the last couple of years, and estimates of as many as 450 thousand ukrainian military casualties since this conflict began are being circulated around the rumors the murmurings and so they simply don't have enough soldiers there's not enough new recruits coming in quickly enough and we know that the military in ukraine is starting to second guess the orders that it gets from kiev so they'll be ordered to retake a territory retake a city do an attack, do a counteroffensive, and they just simply don't have the people to do it. So they're second-guessing the orders. It's very similar to what we saw happen in Germany at the end of World War II, where Hitler and sort of his maniacal craze, his amphetamine-induced craze, was refusing to give orders or permission for retreats, was in denial that the war was actually being lost, wouldn't cede any ground voluntarily to the point where the military leadership just had to say, hey, this guy's crazy. We're, you know, we're going to surrender. It's over. And we're reaching that in Ukraine right now, where Zelensky is basically the only one who even thinks it's possible to win at this point. His leadership is doubting him, but it's not just him. It's not really his fault. They just never had the resources, whether it was soldiers or training or equipment, to win a war against Russia it just wasn't a fair fight. It's like David and Goliath, only David not having a slingshot. It's like extra unfair then. We are coming up to a break. Stick with us, folks. We will be back after this break. In the meantime, visit InfoWarsStore.com and get something to help keep us on the air. These products are all great. I do use some of these products every single day. I haven't tried every single product we have in the store, but every product I have tried, I have loved. Next up, we're going to have Malik Obama, who is a recognized, univer- who is recognized universally as the best Obama. 
He is an actual philanthropist and author of the book, Big Bad Brother from Kenya. He runs the Barack H. Obama Foundation in memory of his father, which is fighting poverty in Kenya. We'll have him up next after this break, folks. Stick with us. You're watching The American Journal with your host, Chase Geyser. Watch live right now at band.video. Welcome back to The American Journal, folks. We have a very special guest with us for the next couple of segments. I am very honored and pleased to be speaking with Malik Obama, who is recognized universally as the best Obama. He's an actual philanthropist and author of the book Big Bad Brother from Kenya, he runs the Barack H. Obama Foundation in memory of his father, which is fighting poverty in Kenya. Check out his website, BarackHObamaFoundation.org, and follow him on X.com at Obama Malik. Check out his book on Amazon, Big Bad Brother from Kenya. Malik, how are you today, sir? Hey, Chase. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It is very nice to meet you. It's an honor and a pleasure to be with you. I love your hat. Thank you. I love it, too. <laughs> that is awesome. So I want to talk a little bit about your book. I saw it on your Twitter account, your ex account, and I went and checked it out. And what inspired you to make the decision to write the book? Well, I started that book a long time ago, almost yeah. like home back here in Africa and there was nothing going on. It was really hot and I was laying there and my son comes over. He's about four years old and he says, bah. And I think to myself, wouldn't it be nice just to write an autobiography of myself, you know? And, uh, you know, I thought about it in a, a big book. That was a big undertaking. Sure. So I wasn't really sure, like, back and forth with it. And then I just took a full scap, you know, a notepad and a pen, and I just started. And the first page, the first word was B-A, Ba, which is short for Baba, Father, mm. where we come from. And I was writing, I kept on writing every time that I got an opportunity i just write, maybe a page, maybe a paragraph, maybe two pages, as long as I would. And I kept on doing all that. And someday, sometimes, you know, I wouldn't do it even for a year or something like that. And I kept at it all the way until a friend of mine mentioned Amazon and they were doing self-publishing. And then I got more serious because we got the all these self-publishing companies coming at you, but they want payment up front. Yeah. And uh, I heard that uh, a lot of them uh, uh, are big scammers. And so I had tried to like push the idea. Nobody really was latching on to it. So I said, let me just do it myself. And that's how it started. And I did. And uh, back in 19, uh, uh, 2022, I published it on Amazon, and it was the easiest thing on earth. I mean, it started easy, not that easy as you think, because yeah, I was doing it, you know, by hand, Right. and then I put uh, on the computer, like on Word, 
and uh, it was a lot of writing. By hand is okay, but when now you put it on uh, computer, everything is compressed. So what you thought like was like 50 pages becomes one page, <laughs> and you're trying to get pages of this thing, you know. So, but lo and behold, thank God, we say Alhamdulillah. You know, I finished it with all the pictures and everything, and my friend Joel Gilbert, he did the graphics for me, and it was really good because. You know, it was re it's authentic. It's right from the heart. Yeah. Uh, I did the editing all by myself. Uh, nobody came and tried to cut it and uh, do this and that. Uh, there was one time I sent the manuscript to some other people. They really tried to, like, uh, mutilate it. And they had, uh, you know, an agenda. Everybody's trying to push forward some kind of agenda. Put it this way, put it that way, and this and that. No, I wasn't comfortable with that. Right. I just wanted to do it my way. And, uh, you know, write my story. And I, finally I did. I had a lot of nice pictures. Put them in there. I've got uh, the uh, the uh, Kindle version that you can get. Then you have, like, the uh, soft, soft uh, uh, copy version. And uh, that one is good, but it's black and white. Mostly everybody's buying that because, like, $28.00. Kindle also is sort of like going, but I think most people are more into the book thing. Yeah, I like to, uh, I like I to have, read a real book. I have a version that is color, where you have all the pictures now in color. It's a bit more expensive, so not too many people are buying that. Then I have a version of it called uh, the iconic Epic Malik, <laughs> all in So you have that one also that if somebody's interested in buying it, just to see all the pictures, my pictures... It's a picture book. Yeah. Uh, it's a great... Uh, yeah, that's uh, awesome. So I was doing some research on you just to sort of prepare for our conversation today, and it's obviously very difficult to know what's true when you read about notable figures such as yourself on the Internet. When was it that you actually met your brother Barack for the first time? I met him way back in 1985. Okay. That's the year I came to the United States. And uh, somewhere along the line, we got in touch, and he flew down from Chicago. Mm -hmm. I was living in Washington, D.C., uh, on Capitol Hill, a place called Eastern Market, C Street. And uh, so he came down, and uh, that's the first time I met him. Uh, we had a pretty good time. Um, I don't think we spent too much time together, but we did go to the Kennedy Center for a performance and, uh, yeah, he came over, and uh, we spent some time. What was your first so impression of him when you met him? What was your first impression? Did you know that he had political ambitions? Well, I was excited because we had never met. Yeah. You know? And uh, uh, coming to terms with the fact that you have a, a long-lost brother mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, that you never met, you know, it's like uh, it's a fantasy come true. So when we met, it was like, uh, you know, cloud nine. I was really excited and everything, and here he was, and here I was, and he was excited, and I was excited, and uh, we were thinking, oh, we're from the same father, and this and that, and we all like, uh, you know, uh, uh, our father was our hero, all of us, and so mm -hmm. we were one and the same thing, cut, uh, cut from the same cloth. Yeah. And it was quite, quite a big thing for me, at least, and him too. 
We're really excited. Yeah, it was an exciting moment. Are you still in touch time. with him? No, I haven't been able. Right now, we don't get along because, you know, he... Uh, Different political persuasions, big, I take it. <laughs> uh, big shot. He wants to run around with the kings and the queens and so forth. And people like us, with like the turtles down on the ground. You don't want to walk with us anymore. Well, so, I'm sorry uh, to hear that, man. It's tough. It's tough when you fall out okay. with family. No big deal. Yeah. You know? So what are you working on now? That betrayal and he's a traitor because we did, we did, we did, you know, we, we, we did, we had a pact that, you know, we would be for each other no matter what, mm. you know, and then once he got into this, uh, uh, his uh, so-called uh, orbit or bubble that he calls it, you know, he forgot, you know, and he became, it's almost like he sold his soul to the devil. Was that something that happened rapidly, or was it sort of gradually over time you just noticed that he was sort of slipping into it? I think it is gradually as he got sucked into it. Mm. You know, uh, around him, the, uh, you know, uh, yeah, that environment. Um, and uh, we had a, a falling out back there because when I had decided to, uh, I was in the USA from 1985 to 1995, mm -hmm. and I got into Mathematics, going back to my roots and so forth, so I, you know, I quit my job, put my stuff in the container, I was coming back to my roots, you know, going down uh, and put on skins and hides, you know, that kind of thing, live in a mud-thatched hut, and go back to the Stone Age, you know, that kind of thing, I don't want anything to do with white people, I was Malcolm X, you know. And uh, Malcolm X was my hero. So I came back here, and then two years, two years time, I was broke. So I had to come back. I called him, and I asked him, could I come stay with him? And he said no. Oh, he said no. Michelle stay with us, Malik. We huh? have to go to a commercial break, but we'll be right back in just a couple of minutes. Stick with us, folks. More from Malik in the next segment. satanic new world order is betting against humanity they're betting on our weakness they believe they can destabilize civilization and bring us down into the ashes of history but the trap they've laid for us will be their destruction not ours if we trust in god and if we are valiant and have courage to speak the truth and not comply and engage in civil disobedience and not join the masses who have decided that they are the scum of the earth, who have decided that they will join with this soulless corporate system. As for InfoWars, we are going to steadfastly continue to fight in the information war with our weapon, the truth, against the enemies of humanity. And we put our faith, and we put our trust, and we put our destiny in the hands of God. Because it's been said a trillion times, if God be with us, who can be against us? I'm a humble person, and I want to say that I'm just a man, but I'm not just a man. Just like you, no matter what color you are, whether you're a man or a woman, you were made by the creator of the universe who had a plan for you, who has a destiny for you. That's why the system hates you and fears you, and that's why they hate me. It's because the spirit I carry is one of justice and truth and courage and honor and will and love. My friends, the enemy's coming after me. Not because I'm a loser, but because I'm a winner. They're coming after you, not because 
you're a bad person because you're a good person. Because you love God and God loves you. And so I signed up for this. I signed up for this fight. And I'm not a victim. I'm an overcomer. But I can't fight this fight without you. And that's why I want you to always remember that I appreciate you and I thank you because InfoWars is your fight. InfoWars is your baby. It's the thing you built. We did this together. So God bless you all. Let's keep fighting. You're listening to The American Journal. Watch it live right now at band.video. Welcome back to The American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geiser with the great, the epic, the legendary, the one and only Malik Obama. What's up, man? Hi. <laughs> we got one more segment, man. We got one more segment together. And I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. I wanted to ask you about a controversial interview that came up about a month ago. I'm sure you're aware that Tucker Carlson interviewed a young man by the name of Larry Sinclair, who claimed, without really any evidence, but claimed to have an intimate relationship at one point in time with your brother. What did you think when you heard that news? He must be telling the truth, because that's his experience. You know. Do you know from experience? Did, did Barack tell you something about that, that he had that sort of inclination? No, no, I had anything that, but you see, I didn't grow up with him. I don't know what he's doing right now. You know, he could be doing anything, but this guy comes up, and... Uh, Who's going to come up all of a sudden and, and, and make those claims? Right. Unless he really believes that it's true. Yeah, especially on Tucker, you know. Uh, I mean, who's going to do that? Who is? And I don't think that it's the first. I think it's it's something that came. It's It's been going on for some years, maybe. I think he started out back in a some years back and um, it was squashed or something like that. And then. And then now he's back um, on, on, on the, in the news. Mm-hmm. Um, so my thinking is that unless he's insane or he has, but he seems like he's, 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 he's sincere in what he's talking about. So I don't know. I can't say. Uh, I don't uh, know what people are doing behind closed doors, sure. etc. But if he claims so, that's his experience. So... Uh, I can't, unless somebody comes up with some kind of, uh, you know, rebuttal and say, uh, and how are you going to do that? Because it's two people, you know? Right. It's just one person's word against another person's <laughs> word. You know, who's going to be there to rebut or to whatever? So uh, I think that when there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So I want to ask you. Obviously, you're wearing an F. Biden hat. Have you always had a sort of right-leaning political persuasion, or is that something that changed for you later on in life? No, that ch- that changed back in 2016. Mm, what happened? You know, I used to, like, if you notice me and uh, and 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 Barack, we, I mean, I w- I supported him all the way through his presidency. Mm-hmm. You didn't. You can check anywhere, and there's nowhere. Where I opposed him, or I said anything negative about him, I and and uh, I was I would say I hadn't voted, but I was basically a Democrat because whatever he was, I was. You see, you see what I mean. Uh-huh. Uh, and then when I saw through all that nonsense and all that hypocrisy, you know, 
because here he is, he's talking about, he's my brother's keeper, you know, and he doesn't want anything to do with me, and I'm his brother, I mean, I mean, supposedly I'm his real brother, you know what right. I mean, and, and he's got this thing going that I'm, I'm my brother's keeper, uh, and he's talking about uh, hope, and he's talking about change, mm -hmm. and he's talking about all this nice sounding stuff, you know, and then uh, he doesn't lift a finger to assist any of his his family, his the people who are behind him, who supported him, the people who love him unconditionally, you know. So he gets into this, uh, you know, he's like Nero up there, and he's big shot, and he's big time. He's up with the with with the eagles. He's up in heaven or something like that. So now he's big shot. He doesn't want to have any time to do with people like us. And I said, now this is the Democrats. That's what they claim. They're all for, oh, the poor people, oh, you know, you know people, human rights, ah, all that nonsense, you know. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and he's here. He can't do nothing for his own, you know, family. I said to him, because we had a, had a great, you know, for eight years, I would go visit the, the White House. I'd go there, and I tell him, brother, look, hmm? people love you and everything. Even back home, all you can do maybe just drill a borehole, ten thousand dollars, even dollars, even I can do that. Mm -hmm. But they want it from you. Oh, he told me one time that he was broke. You know, when he came over to the to to Kenya one time and we were having dinner, he told me that he's broke. He was the president of the United States, broke president of the United States. You know, wow. and I said to myself, what's wrong with this guy? So I I I I was okay. I said, let me give him the benefit of the doubt. When 2015 came, 2016 was coming, and I saw there was no change, because every time I go there, he'd give me like 10, 15 minutes, and he's too busy doing other things. And then Trump comes along, President Trump comes along, and he's almost like a light bulb. A bulb just lights up inside of my head. And I say, because Trump was like, hey, he was like straightforward, up, you know, he, he's like, he, he, he's for real, you know. He's sincere, and you can tell that what he's, you know, he's for real. Games just for, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, uh, image. Uh, right. Uh, and so, I don't know, I just felt like there was a bond. I just, and something just changed, and I flipped. And then there was Hillary Clinton coming lying to everybody about the emails and everything and so forth. And I thought about this, my brother, and how he had just mistreated me and been so, 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 so mean. He's mean. Mm. He's, he's like uh, stingy, you know, really stingy you know, and everything. And, uh, and I said, to hell with this. And I just flipped. And something just told me, I'm going to be a Trump man. And immediately, you know, things just changed. And that's how it happened. And uh, since yeah. then, uh, there's been no looking forward. I've been a Republican. I'm going to vote Trump, Trump again. What they're doing to him is horrible. I've never seen anything like that in my life. And that's how the, Demo the Democrats, that's how they are. They're mean and they're nasty and they're evil. And I don't like them one bit. Do you think that your brother Barack is involved in the Biden administration at all? There's a lot of Republicans here in the United States who think he's actually the one sort of running things since Joe Biden is so clearly vacant. Of course, Biden, he wouldn't even, he wouldn't know where the door is, even if you show, even if you showed it to him, 
you know, he's like, he's, 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 I don't know what, I think he, he, he's not thinking straight. You know, if you, if he's almost like instead of going right, he's gonna go left. Right. And he's one of the, he's old and senile. Uh, that guy should just step aside. And I think Obama, you see, you see him, you're dying. You see? Yeah. That guy, man, not fit to be the president. He's too old. And uh, Obama, of course, he was Obama's vice, uh, Barack's vice president. So definitely, uh, uh, Barack is the one who's running things in that White House, in that administration. Definitely. Wow, that's fascinating. Well, thank you so much, Malik, for being a part of our show this morning. I know that your schedule is busy and you have a lot going on, so it's really an honor and a pleasure that you came with us. I want to encourage the audience to check out his work at BarackHObamaFoundation.org. Follow him on X at Obama Malik and check out his book on Amazon, Big Bad Brother from Kenya. Malik Obama is recognized universally as the best Obama. He's certainly my favorite. He's an actual philanthropist and the author of Big Bad Brother from Kenya. Thank you so much, Malik. Stick with us, folks. We'll be back right after this break. Make sure you go to InfoWarsStore.com. Take advantage of these awesome flash sales that we have in place. Our best products up to 60% off and be the reason we are still on the air. Last year, we put this book out, The Great Reset and the War for the World. It became a number one national bestseller. Now we've put part two out, and it's even thicker and more powerful. The Great Awakening, the plan to defeat the globalists and launch the second great renaissance. This is such a powerful book. It covers all the globalist plans, the latest developments, how to stop them, and then gives an alternate plan of the society we could build together. That's why it's The Great Awakening. The Great Awakening is happening right now. You can get signed or unsigned copies of the book at InfoWarsStore.com. This is a historic book. I want to thank you all for your support. This is next level information, and it's a great way to not just support the broadcast, but inform yourself of the next level and share the book with friends and family. So whether you want one copy or multiple copies, go now to InfoWarsStore.com and get The Great Awakening. This is going to go to number one. I want to thank you for your support. It's a powerful book. Get yours now. InfoWars.com is tomorrow's news today. Chase Geyser navigates the American narrative in the American Journal. About 30 minutes ago, we were talking a little bit about German updates. German defense chief saying the public must get used to the possibility of war in Europe. We know that every time Germany goes to war in Europe, it is a world war. At least it's been the case for the last 100 years. The words were spoken after it became clear that Ukraine's military was losing, and now Time Magazine, as we stated, has confirmed the military doesn't have the manpower to fight off the Russians. Naturally, Kiev must find new ways to draw in more direct support of key European powers. So the argument here is that Ukraine wants World War III because World War III is the only way they can actually get soldiers into their territory to help defend their land from the Putin administration, the Russian onslaught. Quote, if somebody thinks that World War III hasn't started, then it's a huge mistake. It has already begun. It had been underway in a hybrid period for some time and has now entered an active phase, Danilov said, before the Kiev Security Forum at the time, early September. 
More than a month later, some European leaders have begun to echo the same warning. Significantly, this week, Germany Defense Minister Boris Pistorius said in a media interview that German residents must start getting used to the idea of the specter of war in Europe. We have to get used to the idea that there may be a threat of war in Europe, he said in the national broadcast interview. Germany must be able to defend itself. We must be prepared for war. This rhetoric hasn't been heard in the region since before World War II began. He was responding to questions related to Germany being slow to rearmament itself in the wake of the Russian war in Ukraine, and now with the prospect of the Gaza-Israel conflict spilling over into the the broader Mideast regional war. He believes that the conflict in the Middle East and Russia's war against Ukraine shall have consequences for German society. In particular, Germany must be able to defend itself, and this applies to both the Bundeswehr and society. We have to become capable of fighting, Pistorius said. And I think he's probably right. Unfortunately, everything that has been spoiled for 30 years cannot be fixed in 19 months, Pistorius admitted in the fresh remarks. But he still pushed back against the critics. Pistorius rejected accusations that the federal government was too slow to react to the so-called turning point. He stressed that not only had a 100 billion euros special fund for the Bundeswehr been set up, but that the state bodies had also been changed. So Germany is preparing for World War III. They typically are a little bit ahead of the curve when it comes to preparing for world wars. And so if history is any profit, this is a sign that the conflict is getting heated in the region. And of course, we know that Germany as part of the European Union has suffered the pains of that burden, has carried that cross, taken on refugees. This, of course, being a culture not notorious for its welcoming of other cultures. And now I think they are trying to reclaim their nation. I think that this is going to be a new nationalist movement. We've seen it manifest in Italy. We saw it manifest in England with Brexit. Now we're seeing it again in Germany. Everybody in Europe is breaking up. It's like a great big continental divorce. And though some divorces can be done amicably, most of them are quite combative. So I will be interested to see what happens in the area. But it seems that Germany has become dependent on importing energy from the likes of Russia and others. And of course, Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe. So if it's under the control of Russia, then we have a Europe that is dependent on Russia for natural gas and energy and dependent on Russia for agriculture. That means that Russia is now in control of the region in a way that it has never been before. Not so much NATO or the United Nations or the World Economic Forum. And if Russia is buddying up with China, that means China can get itself in a position where it is less dependent on the United States. Where instead of importing the vast amount of its agriculture from the United States, it could do so from Ukraine and cut off Europe. Europe could be cut off from those resources if they are 
favorably sent to China. And then if we have this conflict in the Middle East boiling over, China can come in and say, hey, look, we're going to start trading oil in yen instead of in the U.S. dollar. And suddenly the U.S. dollar isn't the global reserve currency. Suddenly we don't have any money. Suddenly our economy has actually collapsed in a way that they can't fake it anymore by printing more dollars that nobody's using. And we've got World War III, folks. After all, every single world war that we have had has been since the onset, the founding, the establishment of the Federal Reserve Bank. The, they are bankers' wars. The pains that were felt after World War One, namely the global stock market crashing in 29, of course, and the hyperinflation and the likes of Germany at the time. These wars are always catalyzed by incredible financial pressure. So the more the world struggles, the more the American people struggle, the more the Israelis struggle, the more China struggles, the more Russia struggles, the more Ukraine struggles, the more the world is struggling, the more violent it will become. It's like a human condition thing where when things get tough, mutiny is likely. There will be regime changes all over. I find it very hard to believe that Zelensky will be leading Ukraine much further than 90, month, 90 days from today. I don't know if he's going to be killed. I don't know if he's going to be unseated. I don't know if his government's going to collapse. I don't know if there's going to be a Ukrainian military coup that takes over, sponsored by Russia. Ukraine may remain its own nation, but it would likely be a nation in name only under the power and control of a puppet master from the Kremlin. But we're going to see major regime changes all across Europe. And the tougher things get, the more rapidly those types of regime changes will happen. And Russia and China seem to have everything to gain with a conflict like this, whether it's economically, whether it's militaristically, whether it's based on supplies and resources, whether it's just for the sake of catalyzing their independence from a U.S. government that has been antagonistic and bullying for decades upon decades. After all, we are responsible for the collapse of the Soviet Union. We have certainly been a bully to Russia. After all, we have bullied with sanctions and currency manipulations our so-called friends in Europe into doing whatever we ask whenever we want. After all, we have used our leverage in China to bully them into not taking Taiwan back. And up until this point, China's economy has been so dependent on U.S. consumers that we've sort of been in this gridlock with them where no one was ever going to start a fight because we needed, we needed each other. But they are getting in a position where it looks like they might break free from that dependence on the United States. And the Biden administration can brag all at once about capping the cost of insulin at $35 a month. But good luck getting any insulin at all when we're at war with China. Good luck getting any pharmaceuticals at all when we're at war with China, which is frankly not so much a bad thing, given that the SSRIs have catalyzed so many of the mass shootings that we've seen. For every AR-15 that's used against a group of innocent civilians in the United States, there's an SSRI in a glove box. So it will be quite interesting to see. We do have another guest joining us at the top of the hour. I will introduce him later on in the show this morning. But before we go to break, make sure you go to InfoWarsStore.com and check out the 60% off sales 
of some of our top products. These sales, of course, range. They start at 40% off and go up to 60% off. Some of our best products, our top sellers, are on a massive sale right now. So now is a better time than ever to get involved in the Infowar. To purchase something that can help you be a happier, healthier, more focused, sharper human being, a better American, frankly, and simultaneously keep InfoWars on the air because no one else is giving you the truth like we are, folks. Stay with us. More in the next segment. In the early 1900s, certain companies were off-gassing highly toxic fluoride gases into the atmosphere. The surrounding communities began to get sick. Laws were enacted to compel these corporations to install scrubbers to convert these gases into fluorosilicic acid, still highly toxic but containable. Now these companies had a stockpile of this poison, and there was no affordable way to dispose of it. Lucky for them, one of their major stockholders was also the Secretary of the Treasury, who was responsible for the public health service at the time. And by 1950, the U.S. government began buying this toxic, untreated industrial waste product and dumping it into our drinking water. Reputable studies show that it's causing various cancers and other disease. With the Alexa Pure Pro, you can have clean drinking water and a remedy to this madness. Available now at InfoWarsStore.com. Why do you think the globalists are desperately trying to censor everybody? Why are they attacking myself and Donald Trump and Elon Musk and everybody else? Because they can't get through this giant megalomaniacal power grab if we're here exposing them. But we're not just exposing their operation. In my new book, we give you the solutions to build a new, better world, an alternative to Klaus Schwab's You Will Eat the Bugs. This is the Great Awakening. The plan to defeat the globalist and launch the second great renaissance. It's a companion to my last book that was a number one worldwide bestseller. And this book is even thicker and even more powerful. Get your copy of The Great Awakening today at InfoWarsStore.com. Either signed as a fundraiser, and I thank you for the support, or unsigned. But whatever you do, take action now. We're fighting for you, but we can't keep on if you don't support us. So please, get the historic book now. Go now to InfoWarsStore.com and get The Great Awakening. The Great Awakening at InfoWarsStore. You're listening to The American Journal. Watch it live right now at band.video. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser with one more segment in this hour. At the top of the next hour, we're going to have a great guest with us. Mr. Austin Peterson is going to be tuning in. Austin Peterson is an award-winning broadcaster and the host of Wake Up America podcast, which airs weekdays from 7 to 9 a.m. Central. You can find it on Rumble or at wakeupamericashow.com. On Twitter, he is AP4Liberty. His website is wakeupamericashow.com. Excited to have him on in about 13 minutes. In the meantime, we're going to be covering more news. APAC always gets mad when I put America first. Representative Thomas Massey boldly stands up to Israel lobby. I saw this manifest play out yesterday on Twitter. Congressman Thomas Massey boldly stood up to the Israel lobby on Tuesday, telling the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, APAC, 
that he will not be voting for their 14 plus billion dollar shakedown of American taxpayers and will not be intimidated by their smear campaigns. Of course, any criticism of organizations like this is often met with article upon article from the deep state mainstream media narrative claiming that the critic of these organizations must be anti-Semitic. And, of course, nobody wants to be anti-Semitic because when you hear the word anti-Semitic, the first thing you think about is a Nazi, and Nazi is basically as evil as it gets in the minds of contemporary Americans. Massey announced Sunday that he will not be voting for the House's $14.5 billion foreign aid package for Israel, which he noted would come on top of the $3.8 billion Congress, billion Congress already passed for the year. He posted on Twitter, X, this week the House will vote on a $14.5 billion foreign aid package for Israel in addition to the $3.8 billion that already passed. I will be a no vote. Less than one-third of the 49,000 people who responded to my poll today support this additional funding. We simply can't afford it. A good little strategy there running out of poll so that he can say he's just listening to his constituents. But I think he means it. I think he probably agrees with his constituents, but he does have that sort of political defense there, that guard up. High rates on mortgages and car loans, as well as price increases at grocery stores, are due to government overspending because they don't actually have the money that they spend, so they have to borrow it. And when they borrow it, it gets printed. And when it gets printed, your buying power goes down. That's how this works. To pay for excessive spending, we borrow and print money, which causes inflation and higher interest rates. So Massey is standing up to all of those who seek to exploit the United States of America. And like I said, I'm not an anti-Semitic person. I have no problem with Jewish people. I have several Jewish friends. I believe many Jewish people are fantastic American patriots. But you have to be able to criticize Israel without being called an anti-Semite. That was probably the most frustrating thing I ever heard from Ben Shapiro is this sort of claim, this notion that if you don't support the government of Israel, then you're anti-Semitic. They're just not the same. Fauci isn't science. Israel isn't Judaism. It's just not the same. And frankly, there's a whole anti-Zionist movement within a substantial portion of the Jewish population. And I'm not even anti-Zionist. I don't care if they have Israel. I just don't want to pay for it and defend it for them. I don't want to guard your house. I want to guard my house. FBI director warns that the threat of attacks by Hamas on American soil have been raised to a whole other level. As soon as I heard of this attack on October 7th on Israel and how Mossad claimed that they didn't see it coming, and then there were other reports that immediately came out saying that this attack was planned for as many as two years, basically since we left Afghanistan, I knew that they lied about not knowing that it was coming. And if they lied about not knowing it was coming, that means they allowed it to happen. And why would they allow it to happen? Well, it's because they want to usher in World War III. And there's so many converging interests on all sides of the global spectrum for something like World War III to play out. And I said that the next thing that was going to happen is we are going to see a terrorist attack by Hamas sympathizers in the United States because we've imported the terrorists by opening the front door while a pack of wolves has been circling our home 
We just open the door. And when this attack happens, they're going to do the same exact thing that they did on 9-11, and they're going to use it to make new laws that harm you, and they're going to use it to justify a substantial military presence in the region. They may even use it as a way to get Biden not to be the candidate because the Democrats don't want that buffoon running. They know that it is a long shot, to say the least, that he could beat anyone. And so it's perfect for the deep state if they want to get him out. Just think about it, guys. There's a terrorist attack here. The deep state gets its military industrial complex revenue by ramping up the war in the region in Israel by justifying the placement of our troops over there, the deep state gets to protect the interests of the United States dollar as the global reserve currency by ensuring its presence in the region where oil is traded by U.S. dollars. And simultaneously, they can blame Biden for the terrorist attack because his immigration policy has been so terrible, his border policy has been so terrible, so they can replace him as the candidate, they can get the world war that they want, they can usher in somebody new to run as the Plan B for the Democrats. They can save the dollar. And they're going to see it as a great national security success. The article goes on to state that the reality is that the terrorism threat has been elevated throughout 2023. But the ongoing war in the Middle East has raised the threat of an attack against Americans in the United States to a whole nother level. That is the scenario FBI Director Chris Wray led with during a Senate Homeland Security Committee hearing today. Specifically, Wray warns Hamas terrorists may soon exploit tensions in the U.S. to conduct attacks here on our own soil, while also inspiring potential domestic extremists to do the same. Quote, here in the United States, our most immediate concern is that violent extremists, individuals, or small groups will draw inspiration from the events in the Middle East to carry out attacks against Americans going about their daily lives. goes on to say, cannot and do not discount the possibility that Hamas or another foreign terrorist organization may exploit the current conflict to conduct attacks here on our own soil. So does this mean that the feds are no longer focusing their Orwellian ire on conservative Christians as the greatest threat to America? Not quite. Ray noted very clearly that this threat from overseas is on top of the homegrown violent extremists and domestic violent extremist threat. So they're not walking back the accusations that you as a Trump supporter or a MAGA Republican are a threat to our democracy, as they would state it. They're not walking back the claims that the greatest threat to our national security is domestic terrorism from right wing extremists. They're just simply stacking upon that. And so if we had some sort of an attack and we engaged in World War III and they expand the classification requirements for terrorists in the United States, they'll do it in the name of rounding up the likes of Hamas inside our own borders, but they'll be able to use those laws, those changes in the law, those changes in policy, and apply them to right-wingers in the country, the political dissidents in the country, just like they did with the Patriot Act. They said they needed the Patriot Act in order to increase surveillance so they could prevent attacks like 9-11 from ever happening again. And they used it to monitor the communications all over the world of everyone, including our allies, 
And then, of course, Edward Snowden revealed that that act was used to monitor the communications of citizens of the United States. But remember, that law, that act, was put into place in response to a terrorist attack and was supported with the understanding that it would be used to surveil foreign enemies of America, namely terrorists. But what happened? They used it to get secret FISA warrants so they could spy on Trump's campaign. And all the evidence they used to get the warrant was bought and paid for by the opposition, the Clinton campaign. So they always take these laws, these policies, they sell them to you because of one reason, and then they apply them against you in another way. They will be used. These changes will be used. World War III will be used against Americans, against domestic political dissidents. It just won't be sold to us that way. Stick with us. We'll be back in the next hour with our great guest for 30 minutes after we have our amazing guest on with us. We will be taking calls the last 30 minutes of the show today. Hear what you think about everything. Stay tuned for Austin Peterson coming right up. InfoWars Live Silver Bullet Colloidal Silver has finally returned. To celebrate this powerful product's long-awaited homecoming, we're slashing $10 off the asking price, passing the savings on to you. Silver Bullet is the answer to Alex's extensive search for a powerful colloidal silver product that utilizes high-quality processes that has applications for both preparedness and regular use. Concentrated to 30 parts per million in a pure base of deionized water, This survival silver is the perfect fit for you and your family's routine and emergency supply. Beloidal silver is an amazing natural product that can assist your body's many healing processes. Do a deep dive, research the possibilities of colloidal silver yourself, and don't miss out on this limited-time offer of $10 off. Try InfoWars Life Silver Bullet Colloidal Silver today, available right now at InfoWarsStore.com. 